Hello, welcome, and thank you for listening to the Roots and Routes podcast, part of Missouri Humanities 2023 Signature Series. This season, we're exploring the history and movement of Missourians, as well as the impact of the movement of people into, out of, and within our state. This episode serves as the final episode for this season. As we conclude our podcast conversations on the roots and routes of Missourians, my guest and I bring it back to the beginning to discuss Missouri's first peoples. Joining me is Greg Olson, an independent researcher and author who lives in Columbia, Missouri. Greg and I talk about the vast and complex history of native peoples in this area, as well as the massive undertaking that is writing about roughly 12,000 years of indigenous peoples. He is the author of seven books and several articles about Native American history in Missouri and the Midwest. The Iowa in Missouri from 2008 won the Missouri Humanities Governor's Humanities Award for Distinguished Literary Achievement. His book, Iowa Life, Reservation and Reform from 1837 to 1860, was named a Kansas Notable Book in 2017. And his most recent book is Indigenous Missourians, Ancient Societies to the Present, published in June of 2023. Greg, thanks for trekking to St. Charles and joining us for the Roots and Routes podcast. Oh, thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to do it. Um, So obviously, you know, from like our introduction and all that, publishing your latest book, Indigenous Missourians, wasn't your first foray into writing and sharing indigenous history here in Missouri. Right. So before we get into more detail about that book, um, tell us a little bit about your career and your writing and research, your inspiration, your background. Okay. Um, well, I'll touch a little bit on my personal background and professional background um, because I came into writing history sort of through the back door. Um, Professionally, my background is uh, in museum work. I worked in exhibits at, uh, I worked at the Field Museum in Chicago, the Nelson Atkins in Kansas City, and then I spent the end of my working career at the Missouri State Archives in Jefferson City for about 19 years, and there I would, uh, it was a great job really because I was able to use the archival collection and pull different things based on a theme, and then we would put together panel exhibits Mm -hmm. to send out to uh, different historic sites and county historical societies. And it was a really good job for me because I, I came from a history background, but also an art background. I have mm-hmm. a MFA in sculpture. So those were my two, those were the, the two things that I've always loved in my life are art and history. And I think my, my love of history kind of comes from uh, my childhood. I grew up on a farm in nor- way up in Northwest Iowa. And I was uh, fortunate that I, I lived, not only did I live on that farm from the time I was born until I was 18, but I was the fourth generation to live on mm. that farm. So I got a real sense early in my life of the history of a place. Because um, my dad could tell stories about what the house looked like you know, 30 years ago before, you know, before I was growing up there and he could remember his dad living there and his grandfather living there and all of that. So I got a real sense of 
of how a, a, a place has a history no matter where it is mm -hmm. and how that history changes over the over the years and um, I think that really and he was also kind of a, a good storyteller too about mm -hmm. about the past he kind of in his own way he kind of liked history even though he didn't know it but he was he would tell <laughs> he liked to tell stories about the way things used to be so so I grew up with a real sense of of that history and also, too, because I grew up on a farm and lived in the same place for so long, um, it gave me a real sense of who I was and kind of where I belonged. And it just so happened that this particular farm was about a dozen miles from the Little Sioux River in northwest Iowa, which mm -hmm. I would find out later is uh, a rich was a rich archaeological place for Oneota people lived there in probably the 1600s. Iowa's lived there. There was a big Iowa village not too far away. So, um, you know, and as I got older and began doing archaeology uh, research, I know I found out that this place was mm -hmm. actually pretty important and that there was a lot going on there three or four hundred years ago. So those things all kind of came together to really ignite my interest in history. And so I started writing just kind of on my own. You know, I would do research on different topics and, so, and sometimes I would be un, unhappy with some of the things I would find. For example, I wrote, I, I got interested in this Iowa leader named White Cloud, Mahuthka was his Iowa name, which meant the white cloud. And I thought, well, I need to read more about this guy. And I was couldn't really find anything about him. So that was one of my first big writing projects as I wrote an article about Mahaska. Um, just, you know, I hadn't really written much before, but I just went ahead and ran with it. And mm -hmm. one thing led to another. And and here I am. Here you are. <laughs> I love what you said about, you know, you doing your research and you, you weren't happy with what you were finding. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a really interesting and we'll get more into kind of your research process later. Sure. But I think that's such a good way to start that, you know, part of the inspiration behind your writing is that you weren't finding what you thought needed yeah. to be written. And so you wrote it. Right. And that, I, that's great. I guess I had very definite ideas about how stories should be told. <laughs> and, and also the topic of stories, how certain, and that's something we can talk about later too, is about how certain topics and certain people are just kind of left out of history. Absolutely. So, and as we've mentioned, um, you've published a book. Um, so right now it's December, 2023. You published this book back in June. Yeah. Um, the book is Indigenous Missourians, Ancient Societies to the Present. So why this topic and why now? It's very broad. So I very think broad. I, th I think people's first impressions is, whew, <laughs> yeah. that's a lot. But but why? Yeah, people uh, people will, will see the book and they'll explain the first their first reaction is that's an awfully big book, Greg. I don't know, <laughs> and it does cover twelve thousand years. I suppose the easiest answer is because of the state's bicentennial mm -hmm. that we celebrated a couple of years ago, and I. Had I thought, had I been thinking, I would have written this a few years earlier, so it could have come out then, but that's neither here nor there. I guess I was more interested in, I had hoped that in the bicentennial, we would somehow, there would be a reckoning about people, not only about Missouri's history, but about telling all of Missouri's history, you know, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people, as I've mentioned, being left out of that history. And also too, I was kind of hoping for some sort of reckoning about the role that 
you know, enslaved people, the role that Native Americans played in Missouri becoming the state that it is has become. Mm -hmm. and, and certain organizations, you guys, you know, did some programming around that, and the State Historical Society did some programming, but for the most part, that was just really not on the agenda for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this, you know, this really needs to be, to be done. And the other thing is that when you read about Missouri history, indigenous people are really not in the story unless they are a problem, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the University of Missouri Press, um, you know, 30 years ago or 40 years ago now, put out a five or six series, a volume series of the history of Missouri. And I think really only one of those volumes, and that's the volume one about the early statehood deals with indigenous people at all. Mm. That's Bill Foley's book. And that's because um, at that time, you know, indigenous people were sort of standing in the way of settlement. And so mm -hmm. there got to be a lot of fighting, there got to be a lot of problems, a lot of conflict. But then once that conflict is, uh, using air quotes, resolved, you know, uh, and we become a state and uh, we re and there's the removal process. Then, say, after the Civil War, there is really nothing written about indigenous people at all. They just vanish from Missouri's history. Mm. And I thought it was important to, to um, you know, sort of fix that. Yeah. And then there's a third thing, too, that was really important to me, and that is, when we talk about indigenous people, and this isn't just in Missouri, it's everywhere in, the, in North America, but we tend to divide that history into prehistory, which happens to be about nine-tenths of indigenous history <laughs> is so-called prehistory, um, and then history. History is the time period after white contact. But mm -hmm. I think by calling it prehistory, all this ancient stuff before white contact, it really sort of uh, degrades it and, and takes a, a, in, importance away from it. Yeah. And I really feel like it, it helps us see the people who lived here before Europeans came as something, you know, other you know, as maybe skeletons in a burial mound or something. Right, other. not here anymore, not, you yeah. know, that, and, and I think that's interesting because I think so much of the narrative of a lot of Native groups that we work with or Native programming that happens out there, the, the message is we are still here. Yeah. And I think that you're bringing up kind of that point that basically saying most of Indigenous history is prehistory is kind of assuming they're not yeah. here. In my book, there's a timeline, you know, and it, it goes back 12,000 years and, and, um, I chose 12,000 years because that's the safe date, archaeologists will admit to, that people have lived here for 12,000 years. Here when in Missouri? It, here in Missouri. Okay. When in fact, I think we're going to discover, there are archaeological sites like uh, Big Eddy in the southwest Missouri that was, it, so things there have been dated 15,000 years. Mm. So I think that that date is going to be pushed back and we're going to realize that people have lived here longer than we thought. But mm. I wanted to present a history that you know, that broke down that boundary between prehistory and history and just presented indigenous presence as this long continuous thing that started, you know, probably before the last ice age and, and is still going on today. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to make that a continuous arc, mm -hmm. that indigenous present that was real important. Mm -hmm. Something else that, uh, as I was kind of looking at your book and, and seeing what people are talking about with it and, and you know, how you've talked about it. Something that you bring up is that 
Missouri tends to be overlooked when talking about topics like indigenous history Mm -hmm. or even contemporary native topics um, that I think what you put it like Missouri isn't Indian country. People don't think of Missouri as Indian country. Um, And you bring up a kind of a a good point as to maybe why people think that it's because when you look into Missouri history, it's, you know, in the past, it hasn't really been talked about. And I think it's an interesting point that you make that unless it was a barrier to, you know, quote unquote progress, and so I think it's really interesting to point out that, you know, it seems like your book is trying to correct that that notion that Missouri is an Indian country. In fact, that it can be considered. Um, mm-hmm. So so what about your book and your writing works to correct that? Well, I think to me, the most important thing was uh, to help us as Missourians realize that indigenous people are still here and they're still part of the fabric of our culture. So what I did was uh, uh, mostly, and that's uh, really visible in the end of the book, the last probably two or three chapters, where um, so indigenous people were forced out of Missouri in 18, by 1839 and in 1839 it became illegal to be an indigenous person living in Missouri if you didn't have written permission from a government, U.S. government Indian agent. Hmm. And so um, that got rid of all of the large groups, the tribal units, you know, there were still thousands of indigenous people who stayed here individually. But I wanted, but it allowed us as Missourians to think of ourselves as a state that was free of indigenous life. And in fact, in in the 1840s, that was a selling point for the politicians, you know. Oh, interesting. And and so uh, it perpetuated this myth that I think persists today. And as I go around talking to people, that uh, I get uh, comments a lot like, um, people will say, I don't really sense much of an indigenous presence in Missouri when in fact anybody, you know, your lawyer could be indigenous. You know, (laughs) anybody could be indigenous. It's just that they don't happen. You know, your neighbor could be indigenous. They just don't look like. They don't walk around with a sign on them. Right. They don't wear their powwow regalia to the store to pick up (laughs) milk and smokes or whatever, (laughs) you know. But um, so what I tried to do was just uh, go through history and use census records, enrollment records, uh, anything I could grab a hold of and say, well, look, you know, in fact, there were always indigenous people here and then try to bring up different instances where maybe they were in, were visible. Mm-hmm. So something that um, I actually brought it to um, the Alliance for Native Programs and Initiatives group that Missouri Humanities is a part of. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that we were going to be talking with you about this book. Everybody Mm -hmm. knew about the book. Some people had started reading it. Uh Um, And I said, hey, like, we're all active in in Native programming, promoting contemporary Native um, issues. And, you know, obviously people like the Booter Center, this is daily. You know, their daily work is working with um, Native voices, Native peoples, Native stories. Um, And I asked, you know, what's something that, that we should talk about? You know, I've got Greg here. He's written this book that spans thousands of years of indigenous mm-hmm. history in Missouri. Like, as a group, what would we want that podcast to talk about? Something that someone brought up was, you know, this this concept of how to handle all the different narratives over time. Yeah. 
um, especially as you're doing the research for a book. And, you know, cleverly, I said, you know, all the different routes and routes because this is the Roots and Routes podcast. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. you know, especially when you think about colonizer history, the right. white people coming in and, and writing the history as they experienced it and from their perspectives versus um, indigenous history, those passed down stories, their written history, their, you know, artifacts and their stories. How do you handle that when you're researching a book like this? Yeah. Um, well, this is a good point for me to bring up something I probably should have started this conversation off with, and that's the fact that I'm not indigenous. Okay. My people are from Sweden and Britain, and, and my grandfather actually was born in Sweden. So I, but I represent, um, as a white cis male historian, I represent a dem demography or a demographic and a, and a um, a career that has really done a lot of damage to indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And that is another going back to asking me why I wrote this book, why now? And um, that's another reason I, it was important for me to do it. And it is a, it's a touchy thing because not being indigenous, I, I, I grew up with that settler colonial uh, background, you know, mm -hmm. taking that viewpoint for granted. And so I've been really conscious of this. One of the one of the really important parts of my research was is the fact that um, you know beginning about 25 years ago, I, I really actively reached out and, and engaged with indigenous people, mm -hmm. um, most notably uh, with the people from the Iowa tribe. I've worked with them for probably about 25 years now. Um, and I've worked in Oklahoma with Osages and just, you know, just trying to engage, not really interview them, just, you know, not, not really take notes, just come to go to their social events and, and try and soak up and just listen, you know, listen to what they say, listen to what they're talking about. Um, and that 25 years of work, which I try really hard at, um, you know, I think really helped inform the the work that I did, even though I'll, I, as I say in the introduction, I can only speak from the vantage point of a middle-aged white man. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I am. But I, you know, I've tried to work. I've tried to be conscious of that and tried to work with it. And if you read the book, especially that second half, the narrative is kind of jumpy, mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what you're talking about dealing with the different narratives dealing with the different um, you know, flows of information. The one thing that the, I did do in the book is between every chapter, there's a section called Voices, and that is a place for me to use quotes and words from indigenous people. Interesting. Uh, it starts out, the very first one is four or five pages of indigenous um, uh, origin stories. And, and I try to have, you know, indigenous people speaking in their own words about the topics that are going to be coming up in the following chapter. Now you could say, well, you, you know, I still curated those, those, those uh, bits of, of uh, those quotes and bits of oral tradition. But, you know, I tried to, sometimes the oral tradition contradicts itself. Sometimes it contradicts me, you know, <laughs> but it, you know, I, I thought it was important to at least make an attempt to include indigenous voices directly. And then in a lot of the research I did too, I went to indigenous sources for sure. comments about some of the, some of the different topics that I had to cover. Mm -hmm. 
So digging a little bit more into how you did your research, because I think it's, to put it very lightly, it's a very complicated, complex topic. It's a huge period of time. You're talking about all different kinds of tribes from all different kinds of places moving in and out of Missouri. So talk about your research process. How do you research 12,000 years of indigenous history, how do you put that together into a, a narrative? Yeah, especially because I, I knew literally nothing about ancient Missouri, mm-hmm. and I knew little, very little about post-Civil War indigenous Missouri. Okay. The part I was most comfortable with would be the middle three or four chapters, so I actually wrote that part first. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I, I went back to the very beginnings, and I just read. I just read a lot of a lot, a lot of archaeology reports, and there's really a lot of uh, really helpful literature out there. And actually, it's kind of an exciting time to be reading about that because there's a lot of exciting new things that are being turned up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know how I did it. I mean, my brother was just asking me the same thing because he's been reading the book. And if you could have seen me when I was writing, you know, I had a little space for my computer and then I had a mountain of books on both yeah. sides of me and I'd be <laughs> pulling quotes from this book and pulling quotes. Um, but I used, you know, I just used a lot of sources, followed footnotes to other sources, and then tried to plug in. And I I tend to be a what's called a narrative histo- historian or a narrative writer where I pretty much write chronologically mm-hmm. anyway, so that helped. But I was always trying to pull in different sources. I like I like it when one person says one thing and another person, especially archaeolog- archaeologists are good at this, you know, mm-hmm. where they'll they they love to disagree with each other. Um, and it was a challenge, and and it yeah, it just it it was it was just a slow. A slow process, and then it's kind of like packing a suitcase to go on a trip. You know, when you're constructing a narrative, and you you put in the the most important things that you know you're going to need, and then you think you've got it all packed, but then you find this pair of gloves in your closet that you know you're going to need, mm-hmm. and you didn't know you had them. So you got to find a place in your suitcase for that. And that was how it is, you know. I mean, up until the very last minute, I was still absorbing new yeah. information and finding a place to stick it in the yeah. in the narrative. <laughs> so you mentioned um, as you were talking about this. Uh, that right now is a really exciting time to write about this because there's yeah. a lot of new um, research, new discoveries. Um, but that kind of makes me wonder, you know, looking at such a, a vast period of history, did you come across any, like for lack of a better word, like dark ages, you know, where there wasn't a whole lot of information and you really had to to dig deep or, you know, rely on fewer sources, you know, any yeah. time period where it was just really difficult yeah, that's a good question because some people just love to write about certain things like Cahokia. Right, you know, you right. can find tons of really good information about Cahokia, but then the Middle Woodlands that gets a little, you know, mm-hmm. that gets a little, a little scarce. Some of that information, and so yeah, that definitely happened, and and there were some, and so consequently, my book probably follows the narrative, probably follows, my narrative follows the available sources. So it's a little light on some places, you know. I mean, 
the, the, up until, again, up until the Civil War, I had models to follow my narrative on. You know, I mean, people had written about all of this stuff before. And so I could model after their narrative, reject what I didn't like, use what I liked. And so some narratives were, were, were slimmer than others. Where I didn't have a model to follow was after the Civil War, those first three or those last three or four chapters were, mm -hmm. and, and it was both exhilarating and terrifying <laughs> because I could really write about whatever I wanted to write about, you know. Have you gotten any feedback from indigenous peoples or, indig you know, tribal historic preservation officers, any, anybody, you know, who's active in kind of preserving stories, historic preservation of tribes and what was their response to the book? Have you been in contact with people? I have. I think it's a little early right now. Um, I know that um, uh, somebody who works for the Tribal Preservation for the Osages mm -hmm. in Pahuska, Oklahoma contacted me and he said he was reading the book. He wished there was a um, audio version available so he could <laughs> listen to it. Maybe well, someday. <laughs> well, maybe, but not, not, not yet. And so um, I think it's, it's, um, it's only been out, hasn't been out a year, it's only been out about seven months. So I think, you know, people need to first get through the book sure. and, and, and um, the reviews will start coming out next year. And, and um, I've had a few, you know, just a few conversations with people and I've generally have had good responses from it, but I think that the responses from people who actually know about this kind of thing and think about this kind of thing, those responses I think will be coming coming next year as people sort of digest. It, it's a lot to digest. Sure, and, yeah. So something that um, Missouri Humanities frequently gets asked and I, I imagine, you know, places like the Booter Center mm -hmm. and other, you know, organizations that are um, more involved with, with Native stories um, something we get asked a lot is how people can learn more about Missouri indigenous history or get involved with organizations that work to preserve those stories, how to actually immerse themselves in the culture today mm -hmm. um, or engage with it. Like Obviously, reading your book is one of those ways. Right. It's learning the histories and the stories. Um, but, you know, what did you come across in your research? What are some ways that somebody today can work to to learn more to better engage and to experience you know the history and then of course you know contemporary native voices and stories mm -hmm. well the internet is a good source um, for if you're wanting to keep up with what are what are some of the the issues native people are facing in missouri and across the country of course that's always a good place to start but here, so you've got the Booter Center in St. Louis, and then in Kansas City, is there, there's the Heart of America Indian Center. And then there's a new um, Indian Center in Springfield that's kind of just mm -hmm. now re rebooting. Mm -hmm. And so those are good places if you happen to live in those areas. You know, they put on programs, programming. I know the, the Springfield has always got something going on. So they're doing, you know, they have potlucks, they have events. Um, I think just showing up for cultural events, showing up for powwows. Where I live in Columbia, Missouri, we don't really have a resource like that. Um, we do have the student group at the University of Missouri, but 
what I did was, and it was really hard, is I actually wanted to find out more about the Iowa's when I was working on this project with about White Cloud. So I actually called the tribal office, and one person would refer me to another person would mm -hmm. refer me to another person, and and finally, you know, I got a hold of that one person who had the information that I wanted, and that's what started my engagement. But I think really for you know, unless you're looking for specific information, probably the easiest thing is just to go to the Washington University powwow every April, you know. Come to our powwow. I, I help put together a powwow in Jefferson City every Memorial Day weekend. Just, you know, show up for cultural events, um, talk to the people who are there, listen to what they're talking about, um, and don't expect it to happen. You know, don't expect your engagement to really bear any fruit anytime real soon. You know, I mean, the longer you, the more time you put in, the more you will learn. You just have to be, if you're really interested in learning about indigenous history and getting, uh, and indigenous people getting to know them, you really have to be in it for the long haul. Sure. You have to be aware that, you know, this this could take a while especially if you're engaged like I am in history and you know that takes a lot, and cultural information that takes a lot of trust and you really have to spend a lot of time with people sure. before they are will be willing to share some things with you yeah. but just show up I think is would be my main advice mm -hmm. so as you know um, Missouri Humanities Signature Series this year mm -hmm. is called Roots and Routes the Movement and Settlement of Missourians um, this seemed like obviously a very pertinent topic mm -hmm. to roots and routes. Um, but when you think of that theme, you know, kind of this, you know, movement of people into, out of, within Missouri, we talk about um, voluntary and involuntary movements. Right. When we talk about Indian removal, that was not a choice, uh -huh. um, you know, and, and the reason why, people don't think of Missouri as Indian country is because, you know, colonizers made the choice for native peoples, yeah. you know, that this wasn't going to be a place where native people were welcomed. Um, so talking about your book, its topic, your research, connect that to Roots and Routes and why it should be included in the story of this movement and settlement of Missourians. Yeah. Well, of course, nobody has deeper roots <laughs> in Missouri than indigenous people. Right. And, you know, they, they've lived here all these centuries, all these millennia. And um, the thing, too, to remember is going back to that phrase Indian country, this will always be Indian country. No mm -hmm. matter where you live in Missouri, there are people who lived there previously who are no, you know, who may have been forced away, but there are descendants of those people to, for whom Missouri holds a really special place in their heart. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So they, the roots haven't died, I guess, to use yeah. a metaphor. The roots are still there. For example, I know the Osages, their tribal preservation office, brings kids up here every summer, and they visit certain sites in Missouri, and, you know, because those sites, even though Osages have not lived as a tribal unit in Missouri since, well, in, 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 in uh, most of Missouri since 1808, mm. uh, 
those places remain important. So the roots were there before, but the roots um, still remain for mm -hmm. most indigenous people. And they always will. That's, that's always going to be that way. Uh, and I think that those of us who are non-native, we need to maybe think about that a little bit more and respect that a little bit more. You know that that that, that people are still people are still here and they still want to engage with their homelands. As far as the routes, uh, Missouri is really interesting. We have kind of a unique history because. So not only did we force all of the tribal groups that lived in Missouri out to Oklahoma and Kansas, but it was, Missouri was also the site of a lot of uh, forced, you know, forced migrations of people through Missouri. Uh, of course, everybody knows about the Trail of Tears and, and a, there, you know, a couple of the routes went through southern Missouri. But there was also the Potawatomi Trail of Death through northern Missouri. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were other, other groups that were forcibly removed. And Missouri was not the destination, nor was it, was it the place where that, that removal started. But it was, you know, Missourians bore witness to that, mm -hmm. to people being um, uh, deported, basically, from their homeland into to another place. So... And then, too, I, I think, too, uh, on the other end of the time scale, uh, routes about people coming in here, those first people, you know, like there's a big debate about how did people arrive on this continent to begin yeah, with. And some yeah. Native people will say, well, we've always been here, you know. It's not a problem, you know, and archaeologists will say, well, no, 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 that, you know, people came here. So one of the things that is really being um, uh, interrogated, I guess, right now, one of the things that's really being looked at is, is the migration route in. You know, like I said earlier, people have probably lived here a lot longer than we think they have. And so um, I think archaeologists are going to, in the future, be learning more about who those people were, where they came from. Uh, archaeology for so long was the kind of the domain of white men. Mm -hmm. And now there are indigenous archaeologists that are, you know, really becoming important scholars and pointing out blind spots. So uh, I think that those routes too, the routes that people took here initially to come all those thousands of years ago, uh, those are important too. So there's mm -hmm. routes in, routes out, which I guess fits with your your theme, but then, uh, like I said, to the roots, the roots will be here forever for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So as we kind of wrap up, um, I'd love to know what you consider to be the biggest takeaway from writing this book, um, both personally, and then what do you most want people to walk away with after, you know, reading this book, hopefully lots mm -hmm. of people read it, <laughs> but, you know, also listening to this podcast and our conversation about, you know, just trying to dig a little bit deeper. What, what is your biggest takeaway and what do you hope for listeners and readers? Well, my biggest takeaway was how little I really knew about indigenous history in Missouri, you know, and I'm somebody who tries to make it my business to know mm -hmm. this. And so I learned so much, um, so much putting this book together. And so I think that is, that's one of the, my personal takeaway is it showed to me like how little most of us know about indi the indigenous past in Missouri. Um, 
and it's and the big takeaway that I would that's one of the things I would like people to sort of think about as they read the book but the other takeaway that's important is uh, thinking back to that beginning of our conversation when I talked about uh, writing the book in a way that highlighted a presence that was not chopped up by eras but a presence that was continuous and is still continuous you know that mm -hmm. indigenous people will always have always been a part of this place and will always be a part of this place that's for me that's the main thing I want people to take away well, Greg this was wonderful <laughs> thank you so much for for driving in from Columbia oh, for do it. all the effort of, of writing this book I mean again no small feat um, <laughs> I hope the reception is wonderful I hope the reviews are wonderful and um, I hope we continue the conversation thank you so much yes thank you That is a wrap on Roots and Routes. Thank you to Greg Olson for his thoughtful contributions to our conversation. And of course, to all of you who have listened and learned with us throughout this year. We hope you join us for Season 3, Missouri Marvels, Humanities, Discovery, and Innovation. We'll start dropping episodes in early 2024, so stay tuned. This podcast is brought to you by Missouri Humanities. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and stay engaged by following us on social media at Mo Humanities. For more about our 2023 signature series and our upcoming 2024 signature series, visit mohumanities.org. I'm Caitlin Yeager. Thank you all for a wonderful season. Keep a lookout for more exciting content soon from Missouri Humanities. <laughs>